You guys can have a seat. Thank you. Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 8. We're going to be starting there. We're going to be uh, cruising through 8, 9, and 10 today. I put on a sweater today, y'all. And I was cold. And I drive an old truck and needed it. Hey, let's talk about living forward today. I, I was thinking about what I wanted to say, and, and I got to thinking about how much I think. Does anybody ever do that? If you ever find yourselves there, you're like, I'm way overthinking this way too much. Uh, well, that's definitely me. I, I'm a thinker. I'm a, I'm a processor. Um, I, I'm kind of a slow processor. You know what I'm saying? I'm a slow cook. I'm kind of a smoker. You know, in, the, in my mind, everyone relax, uh, slow cook in my mind. So for utility to get there quicker, uh, I like to process out loud, and that a lot of times gets me into trouble. Anybody else? Operate that way, act that way, think that way, talk that way. <laughs> That's definitely me. In fact, my wife, Rachel, uh, is like constantly laughing at me because anytime we're driving somewhere, I'm just posing questions that, like, I, I know I don't know the answer to. And I know she doesn't know the answer to, but I just enjoy, like, the process of asking. I like, I like just my mind being out there thinking about different things at one time. And, in fact, when I was, <laughs> we were driving to a baby shower yesterday, and I was, I was doing just that, throwing out some random question about plans that we had later in the day that would not be answered until after the baby shower, and I knew that. She reminded me of that and laughed at me in that moment, and then later, when I read the sermon back to her, she laughed at me all over again because she identified exactly with this moment. I, I just like to think. I like to process. And so when I approach my faith, I do that the same way. I like to mull it over. I like to think through it very deeply. I like to talk with others about it out loud. And maybe sometimes I overthink my faith. In fact, I often think I overthink my faith. And instead of acting on it, instead of carrying out what I'm thinking through, I just think about it. Maybe you can identify with me in that. So I got to thinking this week, again, thinking. We can talk all day about God. But if our talk never turns into action, then we don't really have faith. We just have a lot of knowledge. So what I want to talk about today is this phrase. To live for Christ is to live forward. Somebody say forward in here. There we go. To live for Christ is to live forward. Um, so to live, to live forward, we, we kind of need to take some steps back and look at the Bible really quick to see uh, how it is that God wants us to live forward. Um, another question I thought of this week, why is there not just one testament? Why isn't the Bible just called the testament? Why, why are there two? Why do we have an Old Testament and why do we have a New Testament? Why do we need two of them? Well, the Old Testament tells us the story of the beginning of everything and then the history of God's chosen people, the Israelites. In the Old Testament, God promises to make the Israelites his people, his own family, his representatives of God's nature and character on earth. And he tells them to set up a sacrificial system wherein they bring animals and grain and okay, a whole bunch of things. You can read it in Leviticus if you're wanting to fall asleep tonight. He sets up the sacrificial system and then he gives them a law to follow. And there was constant sacrifice anytime there was worship of God occurring. Constant sacrifice. You come to church, 
you better have your lamb with you or a dove or some kind of grain uh, offering to bring. You, ha- you better have something to bring with you because that's what worship looked like. And a priest would administer the spiritual things on your behalf because he was the go-between between you and God. Your access to God was not direct. It was via a priest. Okay? It was not direct. It was via a priest. And so hundreds of years before Hebrews is ever written, a man named Jeremiah foretold of a new promise coming, a new covenant where you wouldn't need a priest to be your go-between. You wouldn't need endless work of sacrifice to have access to God. No, you would know him personally. You would know him intimately. In Jeremiah 31, verses 31 and 33, it says this, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in there and write it on there. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Wow, what a great promise that God gives us. So why do we have two testaments? Because Jesus. Somebody say, because Jesus. We have two testaments. We have two different testaments parts of the same story occurring because we have Jesus. The old story, the old covenant has a different way of approaching God, but now that Jesus, God's only son has come, we have a new and profoundly greater way to approach God. It marks a shift. When Jesus shows up, there's a shift in God's promise to us that we will be his people. Hebrews picks it up. It says this in 8, 7, and 13. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. Then he goes on to quote that Jeremiah passage I just read to you. And he says in verse 13, in that he says, a new covenant, he has made the first, what? Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Who still in here has a VCR? We got a couple. Can I ask why? Come on. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm wondering why. Because you can like stream movies now. You know that, right? You can stream it. You don't have to hold on to the old VHS tapes. If it's for nostalgia, fine. I'm all about it. I still have like an N64. If you've played video games, you know what I'm, I'm talking about. I still have some of that stuff, which is old for me. Some of y'all are like, that's not old. But anyways, uh, some of you guys still have VCRs in your house. Why? When you can stream. You don't have to get out the tape and wind it to make sure the tape is tight enough. Oh, I remember VCR. You don't have to, you don't have to rewind through all the good stuff to, to start the movie all over again. You have to wait three minutes for the movie to get back to the back. By the way, Blockbuster making you rewind it, that's their job. Like, shouldn't they have just done that? Why, be kind, rewind. No, you, you do it. I'm paying you to do it. That's why they went out of business, I think. because uh, I wouldn't rewind my tapes. Anyways, VCRs are obsolete. Not that they weren't valuable. They were valuable in their time, right? You probably paid an arm and a leg at one time for a VCR. They were valuable at one point, but now because we have things that are better, things that are greater, we have DVDs and Blu-rays and you can stream on you know, Netflix and Amazon Prime and all those places, you don't need those things anymore. They're not necessary. You can still use them. You can still talk about it, think about it, use it. But it's not necessary anymore. There's something that has come in its place that made the old thing obsolete. So I want to show you how Jesus makes the old covenant obsolete today. 
He's going to say something like, out with the old and in with the... Okay, here's how he did it. First off, he was perfect. Hebrews 4, 15. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without what? Wow. Yet without sin. Tempted in every way that I am. Tempted to lose my temper. Tempted to be sarcastic in a moment that I really don't need to be. Tempted to cut somebody off in the left-hand lane. Tempted to not answer a text message because I don't know what to say. Tempted, you guys get what I'm trying to say? Jesus wasn't tempted, or he was tempted in all those ways, maybe not with a text message, but he was tempted in all the same ways that we are tempted, yet did not sin, and he lived a perfect life. The law had a certain uh, terms and conditions attached to it. You have to do all these things to have access, to have full access to God and not need the priest. Jesus meets all the terms and conditions of the law. He didn't slip up in one area. He never sinned, and because of that, he now has the ability, even the obligation, to set up something new. So he established the new covenant in the upper room with his 12 disciples in an intimate moment before he goes to the cross, before he's crucified. He says something very profound to them. Luke 22, 19 through 20. And he took the bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. See, this marks the moment when the old covenant was no longer effective to help anyone anymore. When Jesus came, it began the shift of the new promise. And when the new covenant is instituted by Jesus and then sealed via his perfect sacrifice, the old covenant is now obsolete. We don't need priests. We don't need animal sacrifices. We have direct access to Jesus. This is what he says. Sorry, this is what Hebrews says, 9, 11 through 12. But Christ came as a high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. Pause. If you don't know what the tabernacle is, this won't make sense to you. The tabernacle was the roaming church that went with, uh, that went with the Israelites when they were sojourning, moving around uh, the near ancient Middle East before they entered the Promised Land. So this is hundreds of years before Jesus. Moses is commanded to set up the tabernacle. And there's a very specific way he's supposed to do it. And at the center of the camp, the tabernacle is set up, and it's supposed to be the very presence of God. It stands for the presence of God. And once a year, God's presence would inhabit the tabernacle. And there'd be a high priest who would enter the most holy place, the very center of the tabernacle, and he would make an atonement sacrifice for all of Israel until the next year when you'd have to repeat the process again, until the next year where you'd have to repeat the process all over again. See, the tabernacle stood as a physical image of an invisible God. And then later the temple whom Solomon set up, Solomon built the temple, a beautiful building wherein they modeled it after the tabernacle and there was still a most holy place in the middle but in Jerusalem there was a temple set up where all of God's people could come and worship and it again stood as the physical place where God's presence lived. Jesus, what it says in Hebrews 9.11, the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, not of this creation. Jesus 
becomes the better and more perfect tabernacle. Did y'all catch that? Jesus dwelling among us is the physical presence of God among us. Wow. This is pretty cool. Let's keep going. Verse 12, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with whose blood? He entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Again, the Day of Atonement, a high priest would go in and offer a sacrifice, the blood of a lamb, sprinkle it on the ark and would do some things in there. And, and essentially that was commuting God's judgment for another year. It was forgiving the sins of the people who were there in the camp of Israel. When Jesus comes, he figuratively goes to the most holy place because he is the most holy. Amen. And so when he died, the veil was, we just sang it, didn't we? The veil was torn because there's no longer a need for a tabernacle or a temple or a priest for you to get to God because Jesus himself, the perfect tabernacle, has done it on your behalf, obtaining eternal redemption. See, his perfect sacrifice on the cross obtains for us redemption. That's wild. His blood was far greater than the blood of a lamb's because a lamb was never perfect, couldn't be. The lamb was not a sufficient sacrifice, whereas Jesus, through his perfect life, making himself a perfect sacrifice, has blood that can actually cleanse sin. Somebody better say amen. Wow. So this new covenant is firmly established by Jesus. Hebrews 10, 11 through 12. And every priest stands. Somebody say stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins, for how long? He sat down. He sat down at the right hand of God. The language in Hebrews for sat down carries a finality in the Greek. It means there's nothing left to do. There's nothing else you could even attempt to do because it's completely finished. It's 100% done. Uh, we don't really understand this word, so let me give you a mental picture. It's what it looks like when your house is completely clean, the kids are napping and not destroying everything that you've just done, the, the floors are swept and mopped. When I was practicing, I kept saying mopped and swept. That's, don't do it that way. That would never work. Swept and mopped, and everything in the house is quiet, and you look around and think, I'm going to watch a movie, I think. And what do you do? You sit down in your chair. You sit down in your chair and you relax because the work is finished. This is, this is the idea here in the Greek, that Jesus sat down. See, the priests in the old system, in the old covenant, in the temple and in the tabernacle, they weren't allowed to sit down when they were on their duty as priests. Because if they sat down, it would mean that their work was finished. But their work was never finished. There was always more sacrifice to bring. There was always more sin to be atoned for. There was always more work to do. But Jesus, oh boy, he does something different. He sits down. And not only does he sit down, he sits down at the right hand of God the Father. He himself on the cross says it. It is finished. Y'all are tracking with me. It is finished. There's no more to do. The work is done. The sacrifice is sufficient. 
That moment secures the offer of the new covenant to those who desire to live in it. Now, this new covenant is direct access to God. Somebody say direct access to God. So when you are confused by the words new covenant, don't be any longer, because now you know what the new covenant means. It's direct access to God. We don't need sacrifices. We don't need a priest to be our go-between. Instead, we have his word in our minds and his law on our hearts. We don't need a priest to tell us about God. We can know him personally. It's exactly what Jeremiah said hundreds of years before Jesus shows up. So how do I enter the new covenant? This sounds pretty good. I like this deal so far. How do I enter into the new covenant? Well, we only gain direct access by checking off the terms and conditions box. And this is not the kind of terms and conditions where you're you know, on your phone or you're like on something computery and you, like you don't even, you know, none of us read the, bo- the thing, right? Is, and does anybody in here read the terms and conditions? Not a one of us. I want you to, everyone look around. No one is raising their hand. We all do that and we all check it off as if we've really read it. Here's the thing with God. You don't just get access to him by checking off a box. I come to church. I do good things. I act right. That's not the terms and conditions of the new covenant. The terms and conditions of the new covenant are placing your trust in Jesus, knowing that he'll forgive your sins and allowing him to be Lord of your life. We would call that salvation. We put our trust in him. We believe that he is who he says he is and that he will do what he says he will do. Jesus says it this way, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Who comes to the Father except through Jesus? No one comes to the Father except through me. It is an exclusive claim. It is an exclusive claim because he's the only one who's allowed to claim it. Not Buddha, not, we could just go on the list, not anybody else. And I don't mean to offend, but where's Buddha? He's not alive. Jesus is alive. We just sang it today. We just sang it today because Christ is risen from the grave. He's a living God. He's living and he's active. We only get to God the Father through faith, through trust in Jesus. You have to understand how important that that this statement is, Jesus is saying that having a relationship with him is the only way to gain access to the Father. It's the only way. Now, we don't see Jesus physically. Anybody else? Okay. I'm good. I was going to sick Jennifer Cooks on you, get you some, get you some counseling. Uh, we don't see Jesus physically. So the relationship that we have with him is hinged on a very important word. Somebody say faith. Faith is belief mixed with action. Faith is belief mixed with action. You've got to put feet to what you believe. It's an action word. It's not merely understanding and knowledge. It is action out of what I know. Faith says, I know this, so I will do that. And without I will do that, it's not faith. James says it all over his book in the New Testament. If you've read that, Faith without works is dead. It's not real. It's it's not even a thing that we should even consider. It's dead. Faith without works is dead. I know this, so I will do that. Faith, belief mixed with action, then becomes the way that you and I need to live our lives. This means that we can't just talk about God. 
We can't just know a lot about him. We have to conform our lives to what he calls us to. And as we do that, he'll transform the inside of our minds and hearts because his law is written here and here. Just like Jeremiah told us, we need to act out what we believe. Let's read this phrase together. You guys ready? The only way to live for Christ is to live forward. The only way to live for Christ is to live forward. Faith living then is us participating. It's participating in Christ's mission. Make disciples who make disciples. That is the mission of Christ. Everything else falls underneath that umbrella. Faith living is us participating in that mission. It looks like you and I applying what we read in God's word, applying what we hear from sermons, applying what we think God is telling us through prayer, applying the advice of our disciple leaders in our community around us. That's what faith living looks like. It's not just postulating and wondering out loud, should I do this? No, it's doing it. That's faith. That's living in the new covenant. Because here's the thing, we can have access to God and never use it. Let me explain it this way. The only covenant that we really understand for today's language um, is marriage, because everything else is a contract. Marriage, though, is a covenant. Uh, Marriage is only as good as the participant's participation. Marriage is only as good as the participant's participation. The quality of a marriage is based upon how well they participate in their vows to one another. I love you so much that I'm not going anywhere. Where else would I go? You're the only one for me. In sickness and in health. For richer or for where I live. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm, not, I'm, I'm stuck with you. I'm not going anywhere. I'm stuck to you. I don't want to go anywhere. You're the best one. You're the only one for me. I'm not going anywhere. And unless I participate in those vows, they're not real. They're just words I said. I think we intuitively understand this. And so the quality of our relationship with Jesus and the joy that we'll experience, you guys got to understand that there's joy in Christ. It's not just we have to do these set of rules and listen to this thing. No, it's a relationship that we get with him. And when we get into relationship with him, it's joy-filled. So we have to live for him and with him. We have such like an amazing opportunity to be a part of this life-giving, joy-filled relationship with Christ where every day really could be an adventure. Every day doesn't have to be Monday. Every day could be an adventure for us. Every person we encounter could be a moment where we're building into Christ's mission, building relationships, getting to know people well, inviting them to our homes, spending relational bandwidth on their issues. And not just their issues, but the good things in life too. There's also good things in life, right? Every day could be an adventure. Every day we get to live in faith, applying and participating in what he wants for us to do. It's really freeing on this side of history, on this side of Jesus, that we can have access to God. We don't have to conform simply to rules. We get to have a relationship with Jesus, the king of the universe, who died for you and sets you free. 
So, we have to live. Here are some ways to live forward for Christ. How appropriate is this on Veterans Day? Christ wants you to speak freely. Christ wants you to speak freely. Hebrews 10, 19-22, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. What? (laughs) Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. This would have been unheard of for a Jew. Only the high priest enters one time a year. What the Hebrew writer is saying here is that you can enter any time, boldly, not with fear, because of the blood of Jesus. Verse 20, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Somebody needs to hear this today. If you know Jesus as your personal Savior, stop calling yourself a sinner. You will still sin, but now you're a child of God. You're not a sinner anymore. You're not a sinner anymore. You still sin because your body's not been perfected yet. You're not like Christ in every way. That's why we need to know him every day further and further. That's why we need to participate in this new covenant, this direct access we have with him. But you're not a sinner anymore. And the more we can get our eyes fixed on Jesus and this truth that he loves us regardless, that he's not ashamed of us, that we're a child of his, that, he, that Jesus is our brother, the more that we can move away from our sin and get into a life that's just lived out of joy and love for him rather than a begrudging obligation to follow all the rules. He wants you to come freely to him. He wants you to come freely to him. You have open and unfettered access to God through Jesus. So we need to approach with sincerity and strong faith. Stop praying in holier-than-thou terms. Jesus isn't for that. He's not for it. He's not here for that. That's that's not what he's about. He wants you to come with sincerity, with full assurance, knowing that he's hearing you. Your prayers aren't just hitting the ceiling. They go directly to God. If you know Jesus as your personal Savior. Mm, That's good stuff. Because he's faithful. That's why it works. Not because you're awesome. Not because you're the coolest. Now, you might be the coolest, and you might be awesome. Absolutely. But that's not what hinges, that's not where the relationship hinges upon how awesome or cool you are. It's on how faithful Jesus and God are to us. He's faithful to forgive. So when I don't feel forgiven, when I don't feel right, when I know that I've done wrong, he's still faithful to forgive. He's faithful to provide when I don't know what's next, he does. He doesn't show up as an ambulance driver to the emergencies of my life. He's been there always. He's with me. He's faithful to remind when I've forgotten. Anybody else? Sometimes the best sermons for me are not the ones where I'm learning new things, but I'm remembering old things that I should have been living in in the first place. He's faithful to bring joy. In the good times and in the bad. Joy is not happiness. It's not hinged upon your circumstances. It's based upon truth. And if I can live in the truth that Jesus loves me and that he wants me to live forward, then I can go through anything with joy, with confidence, with full assurance of faith. He's faithful to give purpose and real life. Talk to him. He wants you to. Talk to him. He wants you to. He desires that. 
And the more that we'll desire that, the more our lives will be transformed to be like him. Christ wants you to live a life encouraged. He wants you to live encouraged. Anybody else have tough weeks? <laughs> Hebrews 10, 23, 25. Let's look through it. Let us hold fast the confession of our faith without wavering, for he who promised is. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. I just made the best pot of beans I've ever made in my life last night. I slaved over it, and I'm telling you right now, uh, Pebbles had their Thanksgiving feast this week, and I got a ham hock off of them. Oh, boy. I made some good beans, and I stirred that mug up. <laughs> I put the seasonings in it, papow, and it's perfect. My two-year-old likes it. You know what I'm saying? If my two-year-old likes it and I like it, I nailed it. You know what I'm saying? I'm just telling you right now. It's a good pot of beans, and I stirred that thing up. I stirred all the flavors in there. I made it right. This is how we're supposed to operate for one another. We're to stir up love in good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. That's what we're doing right now. We're not supposed to miss this moment. This is the huddle. This is the team gathering where we can go out and we can play the game, which is to make disciples who make disciples, building relationships and loving people while living in faith. We're not to miss these moments. We need to encourage one another to be a part of this. So now each of us has a responsibility to each other. Did y'all catch that? In our hyper-individualized Western mindset, it's all about who? Me, 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 me all the time. God says it is about you, but it's also about them. And because it's about them, you need to encourage. You need to encourage one another as you see the day approaching. And this is really what Jesus does for you and me. He's always there. He's always ready to provide and give us what we need. So here's a good question for you. Who is in your life that constantly encourages you? Who is in your life that constantly encourages you? You're probably smiling right now thinking about that person because they're the best. Because they're the best. We all know that. Now, if you're in discipleship at Cornerstone, you likely have somebody who's encouraging you weekly, maybe daily, to be on mission with Christ and, and, and to be about being in his word and being about being in prayer and doing the things that we know, memory verses, right? Doing all of those things. Hopefully they're encouraging you. And in the group setting, you hopefully have a, a safe space to talk freely. That's wonderful. That's wonderful that you have a space to come and talk freely about what's going on in your life. I've got about, um, two in particular, but I've got about four people in my life who will send me a text. And when they send me a text, uh, I have to answer honestly. When, when Cameron and Brady text me, I have to answer honestly. Because we have that relationship. And it didn't just happen one day where, where we awkwardly started telling the truth. It happened because we intentionally said, I love you and I want to see you grow in Christ. I'm going to call you out on some stuff. And they said the same to me. So when they text me, how's, how's your day going? I, I have to answer honestly. And sometimes it's great. I'm having a great day. And sometimes it's really bad. <laughs> I blew up at my kids. I yelled for no reason about nothing. Her shoes wouldn't go on. And I yelled. Why? <laughs> what is wrong with me? You know what I mean? And I have to tell them honestly. Because when they text me those things, they're stirring me up. They might not even know why they're texting me. They just felt like, oh, I need to text David right now. That was the Holy Spirit prompting a moment where I needed to get linked back up with God. And they're stirring me up 
back to love and good works. It's so necessary that we at Cornerstone need to be encouragers and need to live in encouragement. Leaders, if you're a leader, a disciple leader in here, make sure that your disciples know that you are praying for them and that you love them deeply. Make sure. No, don't assume they know. Don't assume they know. Participate in the relationship. Text them this week. Call them this week. Go out of your way to encourage them because they need it. Because they need it. And kind of along this vein, uh, Christ wants you to live with wonderful friendships in your life. Wonderful friends. Christ wants you to live with wonderful friends. It's not like, like Eastern uh, uh, theology or Eastern thought where uh, I am austere and I push food and pleasure and friendships away from my life and I will sit by myself and ha uh, um, that's, that's not what Jesus wants for you. He doesn't want you to, to, to be that way, to be this stoic whatever. He wants you to live a life with people. He wants you to have wonderful friendships. This is what the writer of Hebrews says to the people. It's kind of a personal moment here. Hebrews 10, 33 through 34 says this. They, they were receiving some persecution, and then it goes like, like this in 33. Partly while you were made a spectacle both by reproaches and tribulations, just, just because what was happening in your life, you were persecuted. Catch this part. And partly while you became companions, friends, to those who were so treated. You were persecuted because of what was going on in your life and because of what people were doing to you, but you were also persecuted because of your friends. You were so attached to them that you dealt with what they dealt with. Is that not friendship? 34, for you had compassion on me in my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and enduring promise, sorry, possession, for yourself in heaven. That's the type of friends the Hebrews were. That's the type of friends they were. The writer is praising them for the type of friends that they were to everyone. Anyone God put in their path. In prison. At work. At school. Anybody that came in their path. They became friends with. They really believed what God says, which is that everyone, everyone is valuable because God made them. Everyone's valuable. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. How could you not be valuable? God spent time on you. Hmm. So there's no partiality in God's kingdom. You don't get to select the right people. That's not what the Hebrews did. They just saw opportunities to build into relationships, to become friends with people and invest in them. The beginning of James 2 talks about how we are not to show partiality for this reason. He says, if you really fulfill the royal law according to scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin. That's what James chapter 2 says. You commit sin. Wow. So we, we, we need to build friendships. Jesus, uh, Jesus has a heart for friendship. What is discipleship if not friendship? It's exactly what he did with his 12 guys. He, he, he became friends with them. And I think the greatest power of the early church was not in great sermons, but in great friendships. I think the power of the early church was all hinged upon relationship. 
Jesus says it this way, John 15, 15, in kind of a radical idea for a master to be saying to his disciples, no longer do I call you servants. For a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my father, I have made known to you. There's no hiding with God. He's called us his friends. And in a day and age where those people would have understood the difference between a servant and a friend, we don't really understand what it means to be a servant in our culture. Everyone gets paid for their work, rightly so. Slavery and servanthood is not aligned with God's heart. But in their day, they easily could see the difference between a servant, how you treat a servant, you tell them what to do and you expect it to be done. They don't get paid for that. Whereas a friend, you talk and you have relationship. Very different back and forth. Jesus doesn't call us servants. He calls us his friends. And the early Christians really understood that. And they lived that out. They were glad to build relationships and make friends. Last week, we were challenged to stop praying like babies. Me, 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 wah, 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 wah. We were, stopped, we, were, we were challenged. Stop, stop praying like babies. Stop, pray like adults. Pray for others. Pray for the needs of others. Pray for the things in your life. Have a conversation with God like an adult would with another adult. This week, it's time to stop building relationships like babies. Let me challenge you. Babies, uh, the relationship ends as soon as a toy is taken. And, and violence proceeds. And we laugh, but doesn't our world look like that? Y- y'all know what I'm talking about? You took my thing from me, so now I will shoot you. That's what our world operates on because they're still babies. They might have beards, but they're babies. And so at Cornerstone, we need to not build relationships like babies. We need to lean in like adults would to difficult situations. And we need to have real conversations with people. Because we want to move forward. We want to move forward in faith. And one of the ways to move forward in faith is by building relationships with people around you, to have good friends. And the way that you create stronger and lasting relationships and friendships is when you have hard conversations about moments that occur in your life. Listen, nobody means to upset you or be rude to you. Okay, maybe some do, but most don't. Most people aren't trying their hardest to be rude to you. Most people are just living their lives and they didn't realize that they offended you in the first place. So if you get offended, it's time to have a conversation with somebody. That's what an adult would do. It's not what a baby would do. A baby would just hit you. Or bite. There's other ways. There's other ways. Uh, babies throw fits when they're not around the friends they want to be around. <coughs> babies like the popular kids. Adults don't care. Because adults are mature. And we're past that. Just whoever's in my life, that's who I'm going to be friends with. And that's Jesus' heart for each of us. Look for friends. You have some friends? Great, make more. Yeah. Invite them to your home, move your schedule around to spend time with people. Jesus doesn't want you to isolate. He wants you to go and make. Jesus doesn't want you to isolate. He wants you to go and make. And the making of disciples is not a book that we do back and forth with one another. It's a friendship that we develop. That's what making disciples looks like. It's friendship. It's friendship. Hmm. 
to accomplish these outward actions, we need to exercise our faith personally. Again, we can talk all day about God, but if our talk never turns into action, then we don't have faith. We merely have knowledge, and you'll just be the same person you've always been. You need to hear me. It's impossible to be the same person if you're experiencing God. You cannot maintain the same whatever you are right now, the actions you do, the ways you think, the ways you speak. You cannot maintain that if you're experiencing God for real. Because God is love when we're not. Because God is life and joy and passion and goodness and nobility and purity and honor and excitement. He is all of those things. And so if we're experiencing him for real, then our lives should be changing. And I know that's a scary word for some of us. We're not talking about change for the sake of change. We're talking about change for the sake of moving forward in faith to know Christ better. Does anybody in here want to experience God? Who in here wants to live encouraged? Man, I want that. Who in here wants great friends? Man, all of us do. All of us want this thing. Here's how you get it. It's time to start participating in the new covenant. It's time to start participating in this direct access. We have to live out of this direct access every day. Hebrews 10, 35 through 39. I'm about to read the message. Everyone relax, okay? I'm going to read the message because I really like the way that it's worded. You guys ready for this? This is Hebrews 10, 35 through 39. I really like the way this is worded. Follow me here. Nothing they did bothered you. Nothing set you back. So don't throw it all away now. You were sure of yourselves then. It's still a sure thing. Jesus is still a sure thing. But you need to stick it out. Staying with God's plan so you'll be there for the promised completion. Listen, God has something for you. God has something for you. He wants to turn you into something beautiful and glorious and wonderful. You need sugar and flour to make a cake. Flour by itself is terrible. But when mixed with all the things, all the ingredients of life, God is going to turn you into something amazing if you'll allow him to do it, if you'll live in faith. There's a promised completion for you. It goes on to say, it won't be long now. He's on the way. He'll show up most any moment. But anyone who is right with me thrives on loyal trust. You will thrive if you're connected with God through loyal trust, if he cuts and runs, God won't be very happy. This is our verse, guys. But we are not quitters who lose out. Oh no, we'll stay with it and survive, trusting all the way. The only way to live for God is to live. We are not those who quit. We are not those who shrink back. At Cornerstone, let's be people who press forward, who live in faith, who make friendships, who encourage one another, stirring each other up to love and good works. I promise you there's someone in your life this week you need to text and encourage to live for God. And if it feels awkward, you need to have the awkward conversation to get to the real ones. Do y'all hear what I'm saying? That's what, child, that's, what, that's what it looks like when you're raising your children. You've got to get through the awkward stuff to get to the grow parts, to get to the great relational parts. Relationships, people talk about organic all the time. Absolutely. It'll be organic as long as you're talking about the cowboys. As soon as you get intentional, though, now we're talking real friendship. Organic is a buzzword for... 
That works on a lot of levels, actually, I just realized. <laughs> intentional, intentional is what we're after. We're after adult relationships. Be great friends with people. God wants that for you. Come to him freely this week. He wants you to. He wants this relationship with you. And you should want it too, because as you desire it, he'll begin to transform your heart and your mind. Live encouraged this week, knowing that God does not judge you, but he loves you. Don't isolate Rather, go and make. At Cornerstone, let's be people who press forward, who live in faith. I know this, so I will do that. If you're in here this morning and you need to start a relationship with Jesus, now is your moment. In fact, let's just go ahead and bow our heads. Here's the time. If you have not started a relationship with Jesus yet, now's your moment. You can make the words your own. You can pray along with me. You don't have to say it out loud. God hears you in your heart. He knows if you're being for real or not. It's not an incantation where you can trick God into into saving you. Rather, it's a heart confession. It's a belief in your heart, a confession with your mouth. So pray, pray along with me, and I'll just make I'll just say some words and you make the words your own. Dear God, thank you for today. Thank you that you love me and that you don't judge me. Thank you that you want a relationship with me. You want to know me. You want me to know you. Thank you for being my perfect sacrifice. I know that I have sinned. I know that I've not perfectly done what the law has told me to do, just to follow you perfectly in every way. I've not done that. I've made so many mistakes. I've hurt people. I've hurt myself. I've sinned but I know that you'll forgive me. I believe that you'll forgive me. Help me to trust in you. Would you be Lord of my life? Would you be my Savior? Change me. Help me to live in faith and to live by faith. Help me to love you each and every day. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're someone who prayed that prayer today, would you let somebody know? There's, we got some people in the front here who would love to hear about that decision. Tell the person that you came to church with today. We'd love to know if you made that decision. That's a big, big, big deal. You're starting a relationship with God. That's awesome. I want to pray just one more time for those of us in here who are believers. It's time for us to move forward, guys. And God's going to show us the way if we'll seek him with sincerity and full assurance of faith, knowing that he hears us. Let's come boldly for a couple moments. God, help us to move forward today. But don't let us move forward if it's not with you. We can't do it if it's not with you. And if we are, it's in our own strength and it's no longer about you. God, I want every decision I make, I want every thought I think to be lined up with what you would have for me. I want the relationship that I have with you to be so sincere and so real. I live out of that relationship. I live out of the confidence knowing that you are with me and that you love me. I pray for our people this morning, God, that as we leave this room, we'd be people who put into action what we know. We wouldn't just talk about you. We wouldn't just think about you, but we would live for you. And we would live with you. We know that, Holy Spirit, you're here with us and that you're guiding. Guide us to what's next. When we don't know, when there's decisions in our lives that are tough, that are coming up and and there are all kinds of thoughts swirling on our heads, just give us clarity. 
You're the God of truth. You're not, you're not a God of lies. You're not a God who wants to, to, to muddy up the water on purpose. You want to make our paths clear. You want to make our lives straight. God, help us, help us to seek you this week. Help us to make great friendships. Thank you for wonderful people at this church who love well and want to know people well and want to build into relationships. Help us to encourage one another this week. Help us to find moments and ways to be intentional with those that we know and love. Father, thank you for being a perfect sacrifice for us. What Jesus has done far exceeds what a lamb could ever do. Thank you that you came that you died for us. We love you. We love you so much. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, guys, let's live in faith.